0: I wanna draw your attention to um, Psalm 116. We're just taking a one-week break break from Ephesians to look at a psalm of thanksgiving. And Psalm 116 uh, is a psalm that really has two parts. One is uh, he states um, the depth of his trial and how he brought it to prayer, and then secondly, the deliverance that God gave to him. Uh, It was uh, the psalm that Jesus and the disciples sang together, don't you wish you could have heard what Jesus' voice sound like singing? (laughs) Uh, But they sang together after he administered the Lord's Supper, after in that upper room. Uh, It's a psalm in the historical tradition of the church. Uh, There's a a old little prayer book that's centuries old and it prescribed Psalm 116 would be the psalm that um, a pastor would take to celebrate the birth of a new child, the deliverance of the mom and the health uh, of that new child and they would read Psalm 116. It's a psalm, if you know it, it becomes, some say it's second only to Psalm 23 in terms of just its, its artful um, way of using words to etch upon our hearts what it means to walk with God. Uh, and so um, I've used a translation because I'm going to ask you, if you would be able to, to read it with me. We're using the New Revised Standard Translation because that Translation of the Book of Psalms was written so that we could read it together as a congregation. Now I don't know whether you know that. I don't love everything about the New Revised Standard best, but the Book of Psalms is gorgeous in it. Uh, and so I'm going to invite you, if you're able to, because you'll read it more loudly, you can stand. And I'm going to ask you to read with me uh, the text that's going to form the basis of this teaching, um, Psalm one hundred and sixteen. So let's read it and then receive it, but use it to praise God even as we read it this morning. So together, as God's people, we say, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, our God, is merciful. The Lord protects the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I kept my faith even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my consternation, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord? for all his bounty to me. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Please be seated. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you for these words that we take upon our lips we pray you would bring them deep into our hearts uh, that we might live them out and express the truths in them we pray this in jesus name amen this psalm begins and if you put verse one up there this statement i love the lord Um, you just say that in your mind this is really where our faith is taking us. Do we love the Lord? Do we prize him? And here he describes there's always a why. <laughs> I want you to know there's no why that can be given as to why God loved us. God loved us because he is so loving himself. But because of who God is, there's always a why to our love of the Lord. And here it's, it's very simple. He says, I love the Lord because he's a prayer hearing God. This, this is a psalm about not so much the power of prayer, but the power of a prayer hearing God and he has a testimony to give and he says this God heard me he the, I love the Lord because he he hears Th- this is a call to pray I, I want you to know he doesn't say I love the Lord because he reads my mind although he knows our thoughts but he says I love the Lord because we when I raise my voice to him he hears and he responds and he affects change Do you know there is no force no faster than prayer on the planet? Before the words get out of our mouth, they ascend in the very ears of God, and he sends resources to meet us there. And and here he describes verbal, vocalized prayer. I'm not saying there isn't a place where sometimes we just pray quietly. Sometimes in the Bible, there are times where there's just a prayer of the heart, a prayer of the thought that we direct toward God, and nobody else hears it. But here he is saying there is a kind of prayer, and 95% of the prayers in the Bible are prayers that are vocalized and verbalized. You know, sometimes this is the the benefit of a car because you can just sear yourself off if you're in a house with busy people and just pray aloud before the Lord. But he says, I lifted my voice and God heard my supplications. Uh, In verse two he says, because he inclined his ear to me, because God answered prayer, here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna ask him for more. I'm gonna call on him as long as I live. And and so this is his thesis and testimony in verses one and two. Love the Lord because he actually bows down and listens to the cries that we make to him in our distress. But then he he describes his distress. Uh, In verse three, uh, he says that the snares of death and the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Now, this, is, this is very interesting. This verse was preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost as applying to Christ. It says that Christ experienced the pangs of death. But, but here it describes the, the world that you and I walk in is a world where uh, there are cords of trials and, and it's almost like death is coming after us. Sheol is coming after us. They're trying to lay hold of us. They're trying to lay their tentacles around us and pull us in. And there was, there was some great suffering that was happening. Uh, it, it could have been a diagnosis of some kind. Um, some people think that this prayer may have been influenced by uh, the story of a King Hezekiah. If you know his situation, Isaiah was sent to King Hezekiah, and he had an illness, and Isaiah's in his courts, and Isaiah's told by God, imagine you're the messenger who has to go to the king with this bad news. Uh, and, and Isaiah was told, go tell Hezekiah to put his house in order, he's going to die and so not a cheerful message to give Isaiah goes in and he tells Hezekiah put your house in order and you're going to die and you know what Hezekiah did with that news immediately he said that news is I'm going to take this to God and he prayed and he simply prayed Lord I don't want to die I want to live and so Isaiah has delivered the message he's going down the steps out of the court and before he gets out of the court God says Isaiah I need to send you back all right, I just delivered your message. What you got to send me back? Yep, I got to go back because Hezekiah's prayer has been answered, <laughs> and he's going to live, and he's going to live fifteen more years, and and so it could have been a situation like this: the cords of death, a hopeless situation, are happening. He describes it. If you look at the end of verse three, he says, "I suffered distress and anguish." The word for distress means I suffered a real trouble, tangible, actual trouble, and I suffered anguish in my heart. Sometimes we have anguish in our heart and there's no real explanation for it. Um, there's no real trial bringing it. Um, other times, um, we have a trial and our, our heart, our mentality, uh, our psychological state is fine. Here he says both, he was being confronted with both a horrible trial and inward pain. And he says it, it, it's what felt like he was being Wrapped in cords that were going to drive him into the the grave. In other words, he's describing if you've ever had a day where that day is so dark, you do not think you will see tomorrow. That is the day he's describing. Many of us, if you've lived very long, you have a day like that. You have a day where you say, this is the worst day of my life. the the most difficult news, the most difficult trial, the most difficult heartbreak. And he says, that's where I was. That's how it hit me. It would be be different for each of us, but the day that was the worst day of our life where we just feel like we are being drawn into darkness. And, And then look at verse four, what does he do? He says, then I called on the name of the Lord. And I want you to know how eloquent and, and theological and profound his prayer is, he's just said, oh Lord, I pray, save my life. That is, that, it's a simple, simple prayer. Um, it was Charles Spurgeon who said this, he said, real troubles create real prayers. <laughs> real troubles create real prayers. This was just that simple prayer. It, it's, it's that basic Jesus prayer, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. <laughs> Oh God, break into my life. And you know, this simple prayer, verse four, it's like all of us are gonna have troubles. But but what we need is this pivot to verse four where in our troubles we say, from whatever the darkness is, we say that's not the final word. We turn to God and we say, oh God, save me. And that's his testimony. He says, I said, oh God, save me. He just shot that prayer up, vocalized it, verbalized it, And then begins his testimony. Look at verse five, he says, gracious is the Lord and righteous, our God is merciful. Note those three qualities of God. Um, One writer said this, he said, God's righteousness is sheathed between his graciousness and his merciful nature. God's disposition is gracious, it's just who he is. And then he looks upon our plight, though he is righteous, and he gives us the opposite of what we deserve. It, we, we often come in with this sense of karma, right? This sense of, well, if you do bad things, bad things are gonna chase you. We're reminded of those things. Uh, let it be very clear that the God that we worship is not the God of karma. He's the God who takes our bad upon himself so that he can give us good. That's who he is. That's his calling card, <laughs> And, and so in verse six, he, he states it this way. He says, the Lord protects the simple. <laughs> this is a great way to describe ourselves. <laughs> we are not so bright. We don't have all the strategies and the ability to figure out our life or our circumstances or our own hearts. Um, the person who has got the greatest acumen as an engineer or a scientist still needs a therapist to figure out what's going on in their own heart. He describes himself here as simple. That's, that's a humble description. God gives grace to the humble. When we say, Lord, I'm just simple. I, I need you to instruct me. But uh, that is a humble thing for us to do. But you know what's more humble than that? <laughs> it's an almighty God who looks upon the likes of us. And what does he do to the simple? He protects us. <laughs> he protects us. And, and then I love this description. He says, when I was brought low, he saved me. We all have our moments where we are brought to just the full extent of all of our resources and hopes. And it says, When I was brought low, he intervened. He protected me and he saved me. So there's some crisis he has had. And it doesn't describe it exactly. But this was, again, the, the psalm that was taken in the midst of the Passover. Egyptians are on their trail. They're racing, and all of a sudden they're confronted with the Red Sea. They need a place to come. What, what a trauma. You're being chased by an army and God saved him. And then in verse seven, he puts it this way, and here's here's an important thing to trace out in prayer. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Sometimes we have a trauma or a difficulty, and the Lord brings us through it, the Lord delivers it, the Lord says, peace be still to all those waves, but we still have the trauma in our heart, right? You experienced that? (laughs) And here he's saying, I've had this trauma. God has saved me, but my heart is not healed yet. Uh, a, a pastor I know was, was preaching about spiritual depression. And after the service, he made himself available for people to come for counsel, a uh, rather famous pastor. And um, a man came to him, and he described that he was on a submarine, and, and that that submarine uh, was, was hit uh, and was you know no longer able to support those in the submarine and all the crew and himself included were realizing they were going to drown in the bottom of the sea and he, he told the pastor that and he says i am just i cannot get over it um we're in this submarine um we've been hit it's been disabled and we're all drowning and the pastor said okay that's horrible but what happened next And he says, what do you mean what happened next? I mean, the submarine, we've been hit. um, We've got only a limited amount of oxygen and supplies to keep us alive. And and we're going down. I can't believe that that happened to me. I just can't get over it. And I said, but what happened next? But what happened next? And it took dialogue and dialogue and dialogue before the gentleman could finally say, oh, yeah, they deployed rescuers. and, And the Navy came in after us. And they were able to lift our submarine before all the oxygen gave out. And we were brought to safety. Because you see, the rescue had not caught up to the trauma. And and here he's saying, our souls sometimes need to go back to the God and say, God, I want you to restore the tranquility. You've restored me, but you've brought me through a white knuckle situation and my knuckles are still white. (laughs) And and so he says, return, oh my soul. And I love this description of rest, deep soul rest, deep REM rest of the soul, deep peace, and, and why, he says, because the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He has, he, God is, has not got a crisis of scarcity. And then he begins these words of this deliverance. Verse 8, he says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I, I like to think of this of the head-to-toe deliverance. My eyes, my feet. And the deliverance of God. From death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I think about this. You know, this was the perhaps the last song that Jesus sang with the disciples before his arrest, before his scourging, before he carried the cross uh, down the Via della Rosa. And and this must have uh, strengthened his faith to know that the God that he was bearing this cross to glorify was going to lift him up. And then, verse nine. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Two things he knew in the the midst of that. One, that he would yet walk, that he would survive. But two, that he would walk before the Lord. It's one thing to walk being conscious that we walk before other people. But here he's saying when there's a consciousness that we are walking before God, this is, this is what godliness is. You know the difference between godliness and righteousness? You can be a righteous person and, they, and God can be outside the narrative of your story. And, and you can, can be doing what you think is right before God. But godliness rivets us to say, I'm, I'm living my whole life before the face of God who is, who is walking with me in communion. And so this is the the first part of the Psalm describing this crisis. And and the the next verse describes an aspect of this crisis that, that I think we often overlook. Verse 10, he says, I kept my faith even when I said I'm greatly afflicted. When trials come to us, one of the things the trials say to us is that either there is no God, because how could, how could these things, this chaos burst out to us? Or, or they say that the God that we thought we knew has abandoned us, so we abandoned him. And he says, I kept my faith even when suffering came. I did not give up my faith when I had great suffering come to me. And verse 11 tells us something about what that suffering was. It was not just physical suffering or the suffering of illness. He said, I said in my consternation, everyone is a liar. Now, what kind of suffering is it when you're not just despairing of pain in your body, but you are losing your faith in other people's humanity? It's, it's the kind of faith that is a betrayal trauma. It is a trauma that we know Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced um, double crossing denial neglect not only from his disciples but from the institutions that he should have depended upon the sanhedrin Uh, even uh, the sense of the court system and the legal structures all of it double crossed jesus all of it you can label it different things but you can just say betrayal 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 the people that jesus lived with and trained for three years where are they um this is a severe kind of trauma and you'll note that it he said I said in my consternation he's not saying that this was when he had his full possession of sanities but if you all of us if we experience this kind of trauma of betrayal of a person we can be tempted to say i'm writing off everybody i'm never going to make myself vulnerable to another person ever again and and it's it's much more painful the closer you are to that person. That, that betrayal trauma uh, is one of the deepest wounds of the soul. And he says, when I was in the midst of that, <laughs> I said, all people are untrustworthy. But verse 10, he says, but I kept my faith in God. I, and that was the victory. He said, I, didn't, I, I did not give up on God, but I saw how horrible people can be. You think of Jesus receiving the betrayal of Judas. Here's what one, one writer about betrayal trauma said this. Do you know that betrayal trauma is so disenchanting, um, so um, shattering to the soul that, of course, when we're the object of betrayal, it hits us hard. But it says when we are the deliverer, when we're the one who betrays, we can't live with ourselves. Isn't that exactly what happened to Judas? He turned Jesus over and he could not live with himself. Uh, he could not live with the fact that he had traded in the life of the most glorious loving life that ever lived for his own gain. Uh, and, and so he, he traded Jesus in, but then he could not live with himself. Um, you think about Peter. Peter did the, in some ways the same thing denying Jesus, but what he did, he couldn't live with the fact that he knew Jesus, so he tried to wipe Jesus out of his memory and say, I never knew that Galilean, right? In in most cases, one betraying relationship is enough pain for a lifetime. You think of a person who's experienced betrayal from a spouse. Uh, betrayal from someone who is of their, their own blood, their own family. The wound is equal parts haunting, um, depleting. Um, again, especially when it occurs in a faith environment, when it's, when it's uh, other Christians, or when it's the church itself, um, it destroys the kind of ability to trust and move about freely in relationships. And if you've ever, if you've experienced betrayal trauma, you know that there is a kind of before and after. There's a like, before you were betrayed, um, there was almost a naivete of being able to enjoy relationships with an expectation of like reciprocity and trust, and you just skipped along like a child. But then you're betrayed, and you go from maybe an over naivete to a hyper vigilance like, I will never let anybody else in, right? I will never let them trust. And here, here he's saying that I didn't lose my faith in God, and and he was letting God come in to, um, to heal even his betrayal. And and the, the the point of this verse is he's he's bringing this. This sense of betrayal. Sometimes we feel that it's, it, it's God Himself. We have to disentangle the fact that God never turns His back on us. God never betrays us. Though sometimes the people of God, the institutions of God will betray us, but God Himself will never betray us. And we know that because Jesus here is actually bearing the worst kind of betrayals in our stead, on our behalf. And, and He moves from saying, I said this, this is His repentance of that verse. He says, I said this out of frustration i said this out of darkness i don't know who it may be this morning but i think there there is undoubtedly in a world of broken hearts there are there are some hearts here who need to say i'm saying this out of frustration i'm saying this out of being burnt i'm saying this out of being jaded and it's not true of my god and it's not true of all people some people hurt me. Some Christians hurt me. Some churches disappointed me. But not all churches. And I'm placing my hope in Jesus, the king of his church, the king of his people. And I'm, and I'm letting him come into this space and bring healing. And it's on this verse that the psalm pivots. Some people um, actually thought there might be two psalms here. And look where he pivots from saying, I've had all this trouble, but I was speaking out of frustration and I am not going to lose my faith. I'm not going to lose my faith. And then he says, verse 12, he says, what shall I return to the Lord or what shall I render to the Lord for all of his bounty to me? He's come from a place of saying, I was experiencing so much badness, my eyes in tears, my feet headed toward death, the cords of death coming." in, but God preserved me, God saved me, God rescued me. And now I'm saying, what can I return to the Lord for all of his bounty to me? There's there's a reflex here of saying, I want to give something in return. I want, I want to be, I don't wanna be like that friendship that's all one way. I want somehow to give something in return. And so we ask this question. And I think if it were set to music, this kind of builds in the psalm and just says, What shall I render to the Lord for all of his bounty to me? And it just sits there for a minute. And you ask that question. And when, when we see the blessings of God in our life, our friends, our faith, the preservation of health to be able um, to take in a service, either in person or even online to say, God has been good to me, God has been bountiful to me. And we let that sit with him He we say, what can I give back? What can I give back? And here is his answer, verse 13. It's mind blowing. <laughs> He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. It it is, his insight is this. What do you give back to the God who has given you other things? Everything that you have? He says, and I love, this is how James Montgomery Voice says it in his commentary on this. He says, the only way we can repay God from whom everything comes is by taking even more from him. That's the only way to repay this God. It is the cup of thanksgiving. I think it is the Passover cup. It prefigures in a sense the salvation Lord's Supper cup, the cup of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And God says, you want to know how to thank me? Celebrate how great I am in my grace and love to you. That's how you thank me. I'm not looking for some kind of moral payback. I I like what John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he wrote another hymn about this. And and let me show you the lines of this hymn. Somebody should have set this one to music. He said this. He said, the best returns for one like me, so wretched and so poor, is from his gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. I cannot serve him as I ought, no works have I to boast, yet I would glory in the thought that I shall owe him most. He's saying the only thing he can do to glorify God that gives his heart cheer is that he will be the person who owes God the most for his grace. That the restoration of the pain, um, the threat of death, the betrayals is to be seated at a table. Oh man, I kind of wish we had the Lord's Supper here this morning. (laughs) Because he's saying, you know what he's saying? You know how to thank God? make much of the redemption that he brought to you through the spilled blood and the cup of the new covenant in Jesus. And he says, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna come up to that table and I'm gonna take that cup and lift it up and this is the cup of my salvation and uh, I'm gonna glory in God. <laughs> A friend of mine who was a pastor described the moment at the Lord's table. And I I love how we come forward for the Lord's table. And he said there was a woman who was like standing in the threshold. Like she was like, you know, coming toward the table and then kind of back and forward and kind of back. And as there were lines of people coming, the pastor, you know, was able to talk to her. And she just said, I am just so burdened from my sin. I, I don't think I can take it. And, and, and the pastor who had kind of a Scottish background and accent, he said to the woman, so everybody could hear, he said, woman, take it, this is for sinners. This cup is for sinners who have a debt of gratitude to pay. And he says, this is how, this is how I glorify the God. Um, another writer, Malcolm Geith, He's he's from Cambridge and he has rewritten the Psalms after deep, deep study and reflection. And here's how he, he puts this verse. He says, "He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? He says this, I will let him love me. That's what he says this verse means. If you've received the benefits of God, then he says the one thing to return is to let him love you, to take the cup of his covenant and, and let him love you. This is the thing, the first thing that we need to do in Christ We so often have our, you know, our little practical application sermons that we want to take away and five takeaways to be a winner in life or a winner to your kids or balance your books or be more generous or all this stuff and realize, but God is sitting there with with his hands outstretched. He's standing with his, his arms outstretched and he says, let me love you. God says, my heart is restless until you let me love you in all of your brokenness. With with, with all of your burdens being weighted down, he says, this this is where everything is going. I I want you to let me love you. And so he says, this is the first thing. Let me love you. Lift up the cup of of my salvation. And then then look what he says. And I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to give God new opportunities to put me in his debt. I'm going to just keep on calling on the name of the Lord. You know, um, when we give somebody something, sometimes we give them something to, you know, let them get on their way. You know, we've all read the book to our kids, right? If you give a mouse a cookie, then what happens? Keep coming back. Keep coming back, right? More mice. You know, God, he designed it. He says, I want you to keep coming back. I want you to draw with joy from the wells of, of my salvation. And so he says, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation and I'm going to ask God for more. That's the first thing. Then verse 14. He says, I'm going to pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What he's saying is, I'm going to make public what God did for me personally. I'm going to declare it among God's people. Um, Lifeway Resources, uh, an evangelical organization, has been asking a question of the American people for a long time, and it's been this. If, If you follow Christ, do you need a church to follow Christ with? And for the first time last year, the majority of the people who said they followed Christ said no, they don't need a church. They don't need a community. But I want you to look at this verse, it says that we need people around us that we glorify God with and in. And here he says, I pay my vows. You know what a vow is? It's a promise you make to God. It's an appointment you make with yourself for the future. That's what a vow is. And you make an appointment with yourself for the future. And he says, this in a sense is something that I want to pay to God. Not as purchasing my salvation, but as a response. And I want to do it in the presence of his people when we pay those vows. And then verse 15. God delivered him from death. And here's the next mention of death. He says, and this is out of confidence, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. And this word precious means expensive in the sight of the Lord. And here's the truth about death. If you're a believer in Christ, and I, and I think of, of myself on my own death, my death will not be expensive to me at all. My death will be the moment where my bonds, my limitations, my, the, all of the pain and suffering that... Uh, I may be in the midst of or that may be ahead of me is completely dissolved and cut off and I, what I once only knew by, by faith and, and the sense of the Holy Spirit gives me I now am enjoined by sight this, this is, is what death is in me uh, there was a preacher named Richard Baxter and when he lay dying his friends came to see him and they asked him they said uh, to Richard Baxter they said how are you and he was almost at the point of death and he says I'm almost well <laughs> I'm almost well <laughs> I love the story of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was on his deathbed. He had not spoken to anybody for three days, and his friend Ian Murray came to see him, and his friend came to him, and he says, oh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he said, it hurts my heart to see you so sick, so so weary and worn and sad. And Nobody knew if he was hearing anything, but he roused himself when he heard his friend say, you were weary and you were worn and you were sad, and Dr. Lloyd-Jones, it may have been his last words, and he said, not sad I am not sad I do not want anybody to think of my death as something that I am sad over isn't that glorious yeah. for us it's our graduation ceremony we don't need to fear death we, we have a natural antipathy for it because death is the enemy it wasn't God's original design but it's not expensive to us not when it comes to us as an individual but you know who it is counted as precious to it's God it wasn't God's original design for us, and to see us removed from the planet, to see a godly person who is giving God praise in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of the troubles that we have. You know, we will not have the opportunity to say God is good in the midst of suffering after we leave this life. This is the only place we can do it. We will not have the opportunity to persevere, to call up resilience, to be courageous to live with an irrepressible joy when other things are fighting us after we leave this earth. This is our opportunity. And God says it's expensive, and that's why one other reason to not fear death is though death may come suddenly and swiftly and unexpectedly, it's not unexpected before God. God has it. God has it marked out for when it will come. And he says it's precious, precious in the sight of the Lord. I've seen it as a pastor. I've probably been closer to death than anybody in this room than maybe hospice workers because i'm often there and it is a tender moment and i god is true to this i know this verse is true because i have seen how god moves into that situation i have seen i saw a person who came to our church in maryland her name was dorothy dustin and um she never gave us a card with her address on it because she was timidly returning to church. We did it like his phone campaign and she came back. And then I noticed she wasn't there and I was concerned for her but I didn't know how to reach her. And I get a phone call in my office to come say, hey, mom is very sick, she's in hospice and we think the hour is very, very soon. And so I raced to her house and I find her there and I find all of her adult children who said, you know, we don't know what it was that got into mom. She never was religious. She never went to church, but she started attending your church after this phone call campaign that came to her before telemarketers were a nuisance, you know? <laughs> and, and she came and she could not get enough. And she bought a Bible and she has all these notes of all these sermons and all this stuff underlined. And as we were here, we just realized that we had not done mom what well. we should have called you. And let you know but but at least you can be here now. But but I don't think mom can hear you and she's not spoken to us or said anything, but um would you go in and pray? So we go in, we're around I'm on this woman's bed. And I just remember, I remember she loved the color red. Everything was red. Red draperies, red sofa, red candle holders, everything was just red, red, red. And so I just went in and and I said, I said, Dorothy um, it's Pastor Bob, and and I'm here, and I want to pray with you. And do you know that that woman sat straight up in bed, and she looked at her children in the eyes, and she said she said something, and she says, "Listen to this man," <laughs> not because of what I had to say, but she says, "Listen to this man," because this gave me my 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 hope in my life. And and we read scripture, and we pr- I prayed over this woman, kids just sobbing. And, and it was just this, this incredible miracle. And I kid you not, it was 10 minutes away from my home where I lived in Maryland. And, and as I got home, my phone, this is before cell phones, that's how old I am. The phone at our house rang because I'd given it to her kids and they said, mom's gone, mom's gone. And that funeral was packed out and I was able to preach that story as a memorial to her kids, to her grandchildren. This unchurched woman, because God had moved in at the very moment he was gonna carry this woman in his arms across, across the Red Sea of death through the power of Jesus. That's how faithful God is. And so verse 16, and I love this description of God's faithfulness. He says, oh Lord, I'm your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You know what this verse is saying? It's saying, it's this testimony of someone who says, I had a godly believing Christian parent and I'm a believing person. There are people in this room, I am sure, who you can say, I had a godly parent but I'm not following that God. Let this verse call you in. This verse is saying, I had a godly parent and now I am a servant of God and he says, God, you have loosed my bonds. Some people think this is a bondservant re-volunteering where the debt slavery has already been paid off saying, I, I want to serve. And so he says, I want everyone to know, not the power of prayer, though prayer, prayer is amazing, but I want everyone to know the power of a prayer answering God. And he says, verse seventeen, and may this be your testimony: I will offer to you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. Verse eighteen: I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And verse nineteen: In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst of Jerusalem. Hallelujah is what he says. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I want to ask you this Thanksgiving. Are you living out this testimony? If you know Jesus Christ, first of all, are you letting him love you? Are you receiving his love and letting that rest upon you? Letting that be the grounding of your identity. When you let this happen, there is a difference in how you transact all the relationships around you. You are filled, you are not needy, you are you are ministry not an overflow and fullness. Let God love you, lift up the cup of his thanksgiving, drink it in, drink in God's goodness. That's first. Second application. Call on his name. Is there some area that you have stopped praying about, that you have stopped having hope about, that you have stopped seeking God about because you've just lost sight of his goodness and his power? I believe today there are people here who God is saying, renew your praying, renew your hope, pray for that conversion, pray for that child, vocalize those prayers, put it down on paper, put a stake in the ground and say, I am seeking this. Pray against that illness, pray against that disease, pray against that loss of strength, fight it, call on the Lord, see what he will do. And third, pay the vow of the thanksgiving sacrifice in the presence of others. Thanksgiving is not the same as gratitude. Gratitude is in the heart. It can be invisible. It, it's wonderful. It buoys our spirits up. But that is gratitude. That is not thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is taking the things you are thankful for that you receive from God and declaring to other people your Thanks. There is nothing more countercultural in our world right now than giving thanks verbally and publicly for people. Try it. Try it in the checkout lines. Try it in the fury and frenzy. Try it around your Thanksgiving table. You don't even have to be real formal about it. You can simply say, I am so thankful. Just begin, I tell you, begin a dozen sentences that way when you are with your family including the uncle whose politics you can't stand, begin, I am thankful, I am thankful, I am thankful. You will will be noticed as a countercultural force in a good way. And call on the name of the Lord. Because from head to toe, from our eyes to our toes, from our birth to our death, this is the God who we can trust. And as Jesus went to the cross, imagine him. He was not only giving thanks to God for the cross, doing it for the joy set before him, but he was the very thank offering before God. The cords of death were even the wrappings of the linen cloths to put him in the tomb. And yet, what do we know? Is that the God who loves us so much that he gave Christ, but also loves us so much he's renewing this earth, raised our savior up so that Jesus walked in the land of the living before the light of his God to show us the way and to give us a hope that does not fade. Do you know if you do not know Jesus Christ, you have a hopeless end? But thanks be to God that if you know Jesus Christ, if you've given your life over to him, you have an endless hope in him. Let's pray together. Father, this Thanksgiving, we pray that you would just fill our hearts. We pray this, the words of this psalm, your words to us, that they would ricochet and reverberate and ring out. Lord, let that happen. Lord, as we close this worship service with a song of praise, 10,000 reasons, Lord, would you speak to us about letting you love us, about continuing to call on you for more, because that's how we show our thanks, and about publicly making visibly and known how good you are, how good you've been. We pray these things in Jesus' Jesus mighty name. Amen. Would you please stand? Praise the Lord with us. great it is to what we win by prayer, we wear by praise. And so, just want to invite you, we have prayers, if our prayers would come forward to the front, and if you have anything on your heart, something that you need to take up prayer again, maybe something that you had given up on praying, maybe just a resistance in your heart to receiving the love of God or someone else, invite you to come onto the uh, the base of this platform and receive prayer. We have prayers coming up to be ready to offer prayer to you and now lift up your hearts and receive this benediction as i wish you a happy and blessed thanksgiving wherever your journeys take you lift up your heart to our god now may the god of peace make you like jesus through and through body soul and spirit may he do this faithful is the one who calls you and he will bring it to pass through jesus christ our lord Amen. amen
1: Bless the Lord.